Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Like we saw in the video. You ever have those moments where um, things just become kind of empty, right? We saw uh, uh, the gas tank on, on the, the scooter. Have you ever had your car at a time run out of gas? I have, and it's embarrassing, right? Because you're like, oh, no, I'll make it. I got it, man. It's all good. And then next thing you know, your car just got... And you're like, ah, oh, right? But I've had that happen before in my own life. What about the empty milk carton? You ever gone there and maybe there's just that tiny little bit, but you needed more for your cereal or you needed more for your kids or something. Have you ever run across that? I have, right? I mean, I'm, I'm telling on myself today, right? Maybe, maybe sometimes you have felt empty inside. Like that, that, that picture on there where, man, there were so many people around this, this young lady, but still she felt empty inside. Something was missing in her life. Or maybe you've had, maybe you had an experience where you had this expectation of something, but that expectation didn't get met. You ever had that happen before? Yeah, you were, man, you thought this expectation would be it. Oh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm right there. And then next thing you know, man, that expectation isn't met. And that kind of leaves you feeling kind of unsure kind of insecure, kind of lost, kind of feeling like maybe a little bit of empty. I don't know if you've ever found yourself asking this question. The question is, what's next? Right? What, 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 what is next? Like, if, if I ran out of milk, then I'm thinking, okay, what's next? I got to run to Walmart, or I got to run to Harris Teeter. I got to run somewhere to get the milk, or I got to find a gas station. But you find yourself in those situations and you're wondering, what's next? What am I going to do now? And I'm sure maybe through the process of what we've been going through, the current state that we're in with our culture and the chaos that is all in there, maybe that has crossed your mind. What's next? What, what, what are those things? What, what, what's going to happen next? But today, I, I just want you to know you're not alone in those thoughts. Because 2,000 years ago, a group of people who were on the brink of destruction in the midst of their despair asked the same question. They asked this question, which is the title of our message today. What's next? What's next? They asked that question because there was this catastrophic event that took place outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. Jesus, right? who many believed was the Messiah, the son of the living God, the savior of the world who came to save them, who came to to deliver them from the Roman government, was crucified, was put on a cross. He was executed, which then caused his people, right? His disciples to go into hiding behind locked doors in fear of what's going to happen to him. What would happen next? And so... In that, they weren't sure if they were going to be arrested. They weren't sure what Jesus had actually promised was going to happen. They were in this moment of, guys, what's next? What do we do? And not only them, also the enemy was very much interested in that phrase, what's next? 
Because the Bible tells us that the, the, the enemy made sure they actually asked for an extra um, uh, a garrison of soldiers to come and guard the tomb so that nobody would steal the body or nobody would mess with any of it. But see, here's their concern. Why they were thinking, what's next? Because they thought, you know what? This last deception, if Jesus is resurrected from the dead, it's going to be worse than the first deception that they thought by him claiming that he was the son of God. See, when he said he was the son of God, automatically they thought, oh, that's deceiving people. That's deception. But see, if he is raised from the dead, if all these things he talks about on the third day, I will rise again, if that actually happens, if somebody comes and steals his body, whew, man, we're in for even more problems. We're even for more situations that are going to arise. And so here they were, they were like, okay, no, we got to make sure that's not going to happen. So here they are. They're asking what's next. But what's great today is that for us, over 2,000 years later, we can answer some of these questions, what's next? We can answer and say that Jesus is alive. That the tomb is empty. We can also say that in Jerusalem, thousands of people, after this happened, after months after this happened, thousands of people flooded the streets and claimed that they were believers, that they were disciples of Jesus, who Jesus was. We find that Saul of Tarsus, now he was not very friendly towards the way. Actually, he hated the way, right? The way is the gospel. He hated it. But here we find Saul of Tarsus being converted, and he goes out and he spreads the gospel to the north and to the east. He, he spreads it all over the Roman Empire so that eventually the Christian religion, right? Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. We know that was next. That's what happened. Then, over thousands of years until today, there's at least 2.3 billion people who would say that they're Christians. That they're believers in Jesus. That they have a, a, a relationship with him. They're followers of Christ. That was next. And then finally, what's going to happen next is Jesus will return. Jesus is going to return. He will, now the Bible talks about sheep and goats, right? He will separate the sheep. The sheep are believers. Those who say, you know what, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I give you my life. I want to live for you. I'm doing everything I can to live for you. You know, we'll fall short at times. But still, our heart is set towards him. Okay? He said that he will separate the, the sheep from the goats. Now, the goats are unbelievers. Those who don't accept Christ as the Messiah. They're ones that, that don't, don't believe that Jesus really is who he said he was. But with believers, believers will inherit the kingdom of God that's prepared for them, right? They'll have eternal life. The Bible talks about that they will have eternal life in heaven. But non-believers will be sent away into an everlasting punishment. That's just truth, okay? Can't sugarcoat that. I mean, I wish I could, but I can't. And you can make it even more graphic if you want. 
But that's just the truth. You're either a sheep, you're either a follower of Jesus, or you're a goat. You're an unfollower of Jesus. You're a follower of yourself. There's a big, big difference. But that's what's next. That's coming. But what if we were to look at it from a personal view today? Uh, Right now in this very, very moment, we look at it from a personal view when answering this question, what's next? Because we're not, we haven't, we, we, we maybe have made the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe we haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. But every single, I think, day, in a way, we are all answering that question, what's next? Or wondering what that question is, what's next? Because you get into your job, you get into your situations, you get into all kinds of things. And, and, and over the course of the day, I bet you there are times that you're wondering, well, What's next? What do I do next? What's, what's going to happen next? What's going to be this? What's going to be that? You get news from a relative or you get news from somebody that something's going on in their life and you're thinking, well, what's next? What could happen next? And so if we bring it down to that kind of level, we can look at it also from the lens of the disciples. Okay? Because what was next for the disciples in a lot of ways is next for you and I personally and emotionally. So in John's gospel, chapter 16, the disciples were all together with Jesus for their final meal. It was the last supper. In a few hours, Jesus knew, he already knew, he would be arrested, he would go through a mock trial, he would be sentenced to death, and he would die. He just knew that. He knew what was going to happen for him, but here's the great thing. He knew what was going to happen with the disciples. So if he knew before it happened what was going to happen with the disciples, I then kind of relate that to the fact he knows what's going to happen for us. He knows. He's already got it mapped up. He already knows. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that they would, all the disciples, all those people would run away, be confused, feel empty. He knew all of that. But he also knew that after all of that, there would be for them a living hope, a lasting joy, and a lingering peace for every follower of Jesus. He, in John 16, we're going to look at it, but he's predicting this. He's telling them this is what is to come. This is what is going to happen. And I want to just be able to relate that to us today. Because all of this happens, all of these benefits that God, that Jesus gives to us, that God gives to us as well, all of these things only happen because of the resurrection. Only because he's not in the tomb anymore. That's the only way that any of this happens. And so each one of these is a personal benefit of the resurrection. And, the, and it won't leave you empty. It won't, it won't leave you feeling, ah, wanting more. It'll fulfill your life if you'll give yourself to it. So in John chapter 16, again, Jesus with his disciples are huddled around this table. And this is what it says in, in verse 16. A little while... And you will not see me. Now, this is Jesus talking again. I'm trying to give you an idea. He's trying to tell them, hey, this is what's going to happen. Okay? He's trying to give them insight. He says, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, 
Okay, now the message version, I love it. It says, man, it's kind of stirred, stirred up a hornet's nest, nets, nest of questions. Okay, it says, what, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while? We do not know what he is saying. So basically, here Jesus is. Jesus, they just didn't get what Jesus was talking about. And for me personally, I, 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 I just see them sitting around, scratching their head, wondering, what? What is he talking about? Have you ever had those times? You ever been like in a class and somebody's teaching and they're just rambling stuff off so quickly and so fast that you don't get it, you don't understand it, and you're just like, what? Am I the only one? Awesome. Right? But it's just all this information. And so he, he's giving it to them. And he's saying, you know what? If, guys, I'm giving you something to hold on to. So he goes on. Let me, let me stop here for a second. And that's one of the things I like about scriptures like this. Because you know what? It automatically makes me feel like, you know what? When there's times that I don't get it. Have you ever read your Bible and thought, man, I don't get that. <laughs> You're not alone. Because even the disciples, man, they're right there with Jesus having conversation one-on-one. And they're looking going, what? I don't get it. I don't understand. So it kind of brings comfort to me. It makes me kind of feel like, man, if they had to ask questions, then you know what? It's okay for you, Pastor Scott, to ask questions too. Right? Right? It's okay to ask questions when you don't understand something in the Bible. It really is. You don't have to be a theologian because none of these guys were, okay? So it's okay to ask questions if you don't get it. We got that established, right? Let, let me give you just an account. Don't move, don't go, go there. But John chapter 14, just, just a few minutes before, Listen to this. It says, let not your heart be troubled. This is Jesus talking again. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. He's coming again. He'll receive you to myself. That where I am, that you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Now, this is the great thing. Verse 5. Check this out. One of the disciples speaks up. Right? So, can you picture, have you ever said something just off the top of your head just came out and you're like, oh, I didn't want to say that out loud. But then you said it out loud and everyone's like, what? Right? Okay. That's how I envision this moment. All right? But he says, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? Now, that's an honest disciple. Right? I mean, he's not going, amen, brother, preach it. Woo, that's good. I got to write that down. Oh, that's a social media post. I'm posting that. He wasn't doing any of that. He was just being an honest disciple. What are you talking about, Jesus? I, I don't get it. It's, 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 oh, man, it's so above my head right now. Man, praise God for, for the disciples, Right? But it helps us to see that everything that Jesus was telling them about his arrest, 
about his, um, you know, his, his coming again, his, his resurrection. All of that just kind of brought some confusion to their life. But see, Jesus was trying to get them to understand in John 16 that, man, this is what's going to happen. I am going to die. I am going to be raised again. Right? He says, pretty soon you're, you're not going to see me anymore. Right? He's talking about his death. But then he says, you are going to see me again. Right? That's his resurrection. So he's trying to give them some insight. So Jesus is trying to tell them, man, something is going to happen that is going to take your hope away. But something is going to happen to reignite your hope again. Right? And sometimes in our own lives, things happen that take our hope away. Right? Where disappointment or, man, things aren't matching up to the way I thought they would match up. I thought it would be right there and perfect and it was going to be good. And then all of a sudden, you know what? It's like, man, this hope just kind of just, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so things happen in our life. But see, Jesus said, you know what? There's going to come a time, something's going to happen where all of a sudden, you know what? You're going to reignite that hope again. And it's going to be his resurrection. That they're going to find out that Jesus was alive. Which leads us to our very first point. Our first personal benefit. Okay? Of what's next is a living hope. Is a living hope. That's part of what was and is coming to the disciples and also to us today as believers. To walk in our personal journey a living hope. That's what happened. Their hopes died when their Savior died. But their hopes were raised back to life when Jesus, their Savior, was resurrected. And sometimes it's as simple as just going to him. Just as simple as that. To have your hope restored. To have your hope brought back to life. To be reignited wherever you find yourself Today, I, I, I don't know where all your personal relationships are when it comes to God and who Jesus is. But all I got to say is if you want to reignite the hope that you once had, that maybe you had given your life to Jesus and maybe that man, that flicker has kind of just faded out and it's just a very slow little burn, then just get back on track. Put him first. Put that as a focus. And man, all of a sudden, you know what? Your hope will be reignited again. This is what, this is what Peter said. So Peter, you remember, you know Peter, right? He was a disciple. He was there in that room when Jesus was talking in John 16. But this is what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten again, or begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So there's no other way to experience this living hope except through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If he didn't raise again, if he didn't rise again, you couldn't have a living hope. A living hope for eternity. If you so choose to. You couldn't have a, 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 a living hope for the day-to-day stuff that you walk through constantly that is just be- beating you up and telling you, you're no good. God sees you as small. Boy, man, that is the exact opposite. 
God sees you as big. God sees you as somebody that, man, he wants to just blow his life into to where, man, you are just exploding with his goodness. But see, the enemy works really hard to pull that away. So we recognize, you know what? It's not just a hope. It's a living hope. It's a living hope. So what does that mean then for us? How how, how do we apply it? What's Peter really trying to say to us? Well, first, before we we, we jump into something, I want us to step back for a second and take a look at Peter's life. Okay? Think about the disciples' lives and what some of them were doing before they met Jesus. What were they? They were fishermen. Right? So their day-to-day was pretty much like every other day. They get up in the morning. They go to work. They go fishing. And then they come home. And they did that every single day. There was a routine to it. Right? Life was peaceful. It, it, it really had no big sways or anything like that. It was normal. And really, it was boring. Now, I'm sure some of you who are fishermen man, are saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor Scott. That's heaven. To go fishing every day and just fish. and Man, it is not. Right? I know I'm a hater when it comes to fishing. I can't stand it. Okay? But I'm just saying, because you know what? You can't keep doing something over and over and over again every single day and not at some point get bored of it. Right? Am I right? I mean, you think, oh my gosh, I need a vacation. That's why we go on vacations sometimes. We need a break from what we normally do. Okay? So, here Peter is one of those guys that's a fisherman doing things over and over again. And he really strikes me as a man who probably would wonder a lot, is this it? Is this all I got in life? Is this all there is? Just working, making a living, coming home, and doing this over and over and over every single day. At times, that can create some emptiness in us. Kind of like our video showed. We, we, we start to feel empty inside. But, right? Always love the buts in the Bible, right? But then one day, Jesus shows up. He, he, he steps into his life and he changed everything for Peter. He changed everything for these disciples. In fact, he said, man, I want you guys to follow me. I'm going to make you fisher of men. And suddenly their hope was filled right? Their hope began to fill their life. Their life took on this whole new complexion. And when we find Christ, when we find Jesus, the whole purpose is that, you know what? Our life should take on a whole new complexion. It should be something totally radically different if we truly have found him in our life. So he gave Peter hope. He gave these guys a hope. It was a living hope right in front of them. But then something tragic happened, as we know. Right? Jesus, who had given them hope, he was the Messiah. He was the one that was going to take over. He's the one that the Old Testament spoke about. He was going to deliver his people from the rule of the Roman government, of the Roman Empire. He was going to do all of this. But then he died. Dun, 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 dun. Right? He died. 
He was crucified. And on that day, all their hopes died with him. They felt empty. And I'm sure their minds flooded with thoughts of, man, what's next? What is next? But after Jesus was crucified, the good news is, as you know, he didn't stay dead. In fact, he was raised from the dead. And then he appears to two of his followers on the road of Emmaus. And that's in Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 24, verse 17 through 24. If not, it's up here on on the screen. Or as some people call it, the Sky Bible. Um, But Jesus came right up to them, to these two guys. They're walking, right? And it says this. What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? This is Jesus. He's talking to the two guys, right? And he said, hey, what's going on? Hold on, go back. Oh, no, you got it. Go. Go, next one. There you go. What kind of conversation is that you have with one another as you walk? You are sad. That means they were visibly shaken. Their hope was gone, right? They're sad, right? Usually when you are sad, your hope's gone, isn't it? Or your hope's gone and and you're sad because your hope is gone. And so here these guys are kind of like, oh, man, this is just, oh, this is terrible. Now, I don't know if they were saying it that way, but you, you just go along with me, right? I'm adding my drama element to it. Okay, verse 18. Then one of those named uh, name was Cleopas uh, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? I love that. Like, he's just kind of like, dude, where you been, bro? I mean, are you like the only stranger in Israel? Like, man, what is your deal? And he, say, he says, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? I love Jesus, man. He's just like, kind of like, oh yeah? What are you going to tell me, right? He says, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, sorry, who uh, was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now, verse 21, look at this. But we were what? Hoping. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. So here he's saying, man, our hope died. We were hoping he would be the one who saves us and and, and delivers us. And he died. And man, it's not happening. That is why we are so, so sad. Verse 22. Yes. And certain women of our company who had arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had um, also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women women had said. But him they did not see. So we can see, man, they lost their hope because Jesus was no longer there. And here's these guys. They get accounts from the two women. They get accounts from some of the disciples that says he's not there, yet they're still sad. So you can have people in your life, around your life, trying to encourage you, trying to tell you what's going on, trying to tell you and give you the answers, trying to give you everything so that you could find this life in Christ. You can have these people around you, but yet it's your decision to decide what you're going to listen to and what you're not going to listen to. 
showed it right there. Because those guys should have been excited. They should have been walking like high-fiving, chest-bumping. Woo, man, this is a great day, man. Right? They should have. But instead, they were walking around moping and being, oh, man, our hope is just dashed. It's terrible. Because they all thought, man, you know what? This just, Jesus didn't pan out. Right? Sometimes we can get that way too. Okay, well, I'll give my life to Christ. Well, nothing changed, Pastor Scott. Nothing at all. This thing didn't pan out, me asking Jesus into my heart. Right? I mean, I don't know if you ever get people like that, like they've been sucking on sour lemons. Okay? But, but a part of it is you got to do something too. Right? It takes two to tango. To, whatever. Okay? All right. Well, I'm really busting it out today. Watch out. Okay? So we got to understand, man, he is alive, right? He is alive. He's a living hope. Now, what I love too is that um, the Apostle John, 62 years later in the book of Revelation, has an encounter with Jesus. He's still alive. That's what I get from it. I'm thinking, wow, check this out in Revelations. Revelations 1, 17 through 18. This is what it says. It says, and when I saw him, now this is John talking. John was um, exiled to, to this island, and he has this encounter with Jesus. He goes to heaven. He sees Jesus. Jesus is alive, right? And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead. Now, he wasn't dead, dead. You know, he was just like in awe. Oh, my gosh, right? But he laid his right hand on me. I love that. He didn't, Jesus didn't yank him up. Say, John, what are you doing? No, he graciously, lovingly, which he does to every single one of us, lays his hand on us, right? He lays his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And then he says, amen. You know what amen means? So be it. So he's saying, man, so be it. I just see you know, Jesus breaking out like, so be it, man. Anyways, okay. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So he's saying, right, leave it up. He's saying right here, I am the one who lives. I lived. I came from heaven to earth so that I would die on the cross for you because I love you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He came, right? He says, so I lived. Then it says, I was dead. So he was saying, yeah, I got crucified. That's right. I knew what was next. I knew that when I took on this role that God asked me to, my father asked me to, I knew I was going to have to die by crucifixion. I was dead. But then he says, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That means Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to infinity and beyond. Right? He is alive forevermore. And then he says, so be it. I, I, man, I, just, I, I just picture, man, the, 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 the jail cells of, of, the, of the army of the enemy just trembling when he said that. Because they knew it was true. It happened. It totally, totally happened. So why then is it a living hope? Because it means that all the promises Jesus ever made were now true. Let me say it again. All the promises you find in the Bible that Jesus made 
were made true. Right? Because anything is possible if the one who said he was going to die and rise again died and rose again. Simple. A very simple equation. When he says, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And then he actually goes and does that. That's why this living hope is something that we can have in our life. That makes every single promise possible to us. Every single promise that was promised to them is now promised to us if we are a believer in Christ because he was raised from the dead. Right? I mean, how else can we even comprehend or or, or know a scripture like this where it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. How do you even comprehend that? Unless the guy who died rose again. It makes absolutely no sense. So that's the very first benefit. The second benefit is lasting joy. Lasting joy. In John 16, he goes on. And he says, Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, uh, you, uh, you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you shall be sorrow, sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He goes on and says, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as being has been born to the child, she no longer, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So when Jesus died on the cross, that was probably their lives. And I would imagine they probably thought, man, we're never going to be happy again. It's not going to happen. The one that we thought was the Savior, the one that we thought that was going to lead us, is now dead. Even though he was telling them, hey, don't worry about it, man, I'm coming back. Yet they still weren't quite getting it. But they were sad. You know, again, those two guys on the road. Well, were they? They were, they were sad. They had heard the reports, but they didn't know. So in those three days that Jesus was lying in the tomb, there was no joy. His followers had no joy. There was no victory march. There was no singing going on. There was only sadness and mourning. But Jesus knew what was next. He knew that, you know what? Their joy was going to be reignited. They didn't get it at the time of what he was saying. But you know what? He was knowing that, you know what? Your sadness and your mourning, it is going to turn into dancing. It's going to turn into victory. The Bible tells us that when Jesus showed up in the upper room, after he arose, the Passion Translation says it this way, they, the disciples, were overjoyed. They weren't just joy. They were overjoyed, right? They were excited to see the Lord with their own eyes. Their fear had gone. Their hope fulfilled. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across to them. What's next? Guys, this is what's next, okay? Your sorrow will be turned into joy. I, you know what? I am 100% convinced 
That man, when you're walking with Jesus, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter what things that you encounter, you can still find joy. I'm convinced of that. And you can debate me on that if you want to. But I'm convinced that I can find joy even if I'm going through a hard situation. I've gone through some hard situations. I've gone through some physical situations in my life. When at 47, I had to have a triple bypass. But you know what? I found joy. I found joy because of who Jesus was in my life. I wasn't sad. I wasn't like, oh, what was me? Why did I eat those Big Mac cheeseburgers? Why did I do that? I didn't do any of that. I was like, okay, Jesus, let's go. We got to tackle this thing. I got to walk this thing out in joy. Okay? But it said that he will turn your mourning into dancing. When the women lift the tomb, when they got there, they were sad. They were like just overwhelmed with grief. But then what happened? They see the angel and the angel says, hey, he's not here. Go check it out. Right? Oh my gosh. Right? The Bible even says that they went away with fear and great joy. What a mix of emotions. There was like, whoa, what's happening here? But man, I am so glad he is not here. He is alive. And see, sometimes that's how we walk through life. As a Christian, we face things. And we're like, hey, what's going on? There's a little bit kind of fear trying to creep up. But man, I got so much joy because I know Jesus is going to take care of it. He's going to be with me every step of the way. And you know what? If I die, guess what? I win. I get to go to heaven. What? That's better than here. At least what I read in the Bible. So, you know what? Why should I be so downcast, right? Why should I be so sorrowful? But man, that takes, that takes practice. That takes discipline. I'm not saying it happens overnight. Okay? Then he goes on, and he kind of brings this into a more relatable situation. He talks about the birth of a child. Right? That's painful. Not that I've ever done it. But man, that's painful. I remember... Right? We have five kids, but I remember the first one. Oh, man, we went to the Lamaze class, and we learned, you know, the, what the lady called the big fish blow, you know, <gasps> you know, and all that. He called, she called it big fish blow. I don't know why. But I remember sitting there with Heather and trying to coach her, hey, big fish blow, big fish blow. And she's looking at me like, be quiet. Get out of my face right now. I don't want to even see you anymore. Right? You remember that? Yeah. But I, I tried. Man, I stuck it in there, and I'm like, no, you will do the big fish blow. Anyways, okay? But it's painful. But as soon as you hear the cry of that baby, all of that pain is washed away. It's, it's amazing. Man, I, I'm hearing my wife making noises and cries and screams and all these things I've never heard before. And I'm kind of freaked out. And yet, when that baby cried, when Kelsey cried, the very first time, it was just like, man, all of that was washed away. All of that was just totally removed. It was just eclipsed by ecstasy. We were excited. We were, the sorrow gave way to over, overwhelming joy. Is it, do you understand? Do you get that? Is that true, ladies? Yeah. Man, it, it's the craziest thing. But see, that's how God, that's what Jesus was trying to say. Guys, this is going to look like one of the most sorrowful moments in your life. But as soon as you see me alive from the grave, guess what? Man, all of that sorrow, all of that pain, it's going to go away. You're going to be so excited. You're going to be pumped. That, you know what? I'm alive. I've kept my promise 
to you. And he wants to give you this lasting joy, a real joy. But it only happens when we put him at, at first place in our life. When we remove the selfishness of who we are and say, all right, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Now, you'll still battle, battle with your selfishness, and he understands that. But the goal is, is that you per- slowly progress away from your selfishness and land right there where it's you and him connected one-on-one. So good, right? Let me, let me give you this one scripture in Isaiah 61.3. Now, this is a, a scripture, a prophetic scripture, talking about when Jesus comes, this is what he's going to do, okay? And it's just a really small clip. This is it. But this is what Jesus is supposed to be doing, right? It says, he will give them beauty for ashes. Have you ever felt like you were on the ash pile sometimes? Right? But see, man, if you've got your focus on Jesus, and he's number one, and you're, 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 you're doing it, he's going to take you from that ash pile, and he's going to give you beauty. I'm convinced. Okay? It says to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. That means, you know what? When you're in mourning, he wants to give you joy. Not, not to be like if you're in mourning for something that, you know, has, is, is deeply, you know, a, a heavy heart. But at the same time, he wants you to be able to find the joy that says, you know what? No, but I know that the Lord knows what's next. I know what he's got, got for me. And then it says, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's some pretty cool stuff, if you think about it. Now, here's the deal, though. You know what? Jesus doesn't, I mean, he, he it doesn't mean that, you know, he wants you to walk around and he wants you to put a fake smile on your face. Okay? Because some people will do that. They'll just kind of put this fake smile on and stuff. But joy is an inward condition of a soul that is fixed on Jesus. So you don't have to be happy all the time. You know, I mean, you run across, hey, that, that's great. But realize that, you know, joy comes from inside. Joy is a byproduct of your relationship with God. This is a, a Billy Sunday who was a well-known evangelist once said this. If you have no joy, you know, if you're a believer... If you have no joy, there's a leak somewhere in your Christianity. If you have no joy, there's a leak somewhere in your Christianity. So if you're leaking, then you need a new infusion of joy in your life. Because you don't, you don't, you have no joy. But when you have no joy, that says something about your view of God. When you have no joy, it says something about your view of who God is. It's kind of like an admission that you don't believe that God is really taking care of you. If you're a believer. Or that God is even doing a good job overseeing your life. Because we want, no, he's doing a lousy job. Because I'm not seeing this, I'm not seeing that, he's not doing this, I don't see him moving, he's not talking, he's not doing this and doing this. But see, God, nothing takes God by surprise. Right? Right? It doesn't take my surprise. And you have to believe and you have to find joy in the fact that, you know, he's got it down to the detail in your life. Now, listen to this. This is crazy. And I think it's crazy. But here, Paul, Paul wrote this. And this is what I mean by an inward condition of a soul that's fixed on God. Paul was in jail. He was on death row. He was facing death. And this is what he said in Philippians. Let's see. It's going to come up right here. 
He says, now this is Paul. He's on death row. He's going to die. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. What? How can you rejoice always if you know you're going to die? You're on death row. You got death coming. Because he was going to die for his faith. But see, that's somebody whose heart condition is fixed on the Lord. That says, no matter what I face, no matter what I go through, my joy is going to come from him. Not from the circumstances. Not from what I'm encountering. Because, you know, we always find joy in a great circumstance. Yeah! But man, sometimes we don't always face great circumstances. We don't always have those happening in our life. But see, we have the ability, though, to have strength in us to be joyful in everything. Right? Bible says, give thanks to God in everything. Man, I'm supposed to give thanks to God when I stub my toe against something or walk on a Lego if you got kids. Right? I mean, how many had kids that had Legos and you step on a Lego? Those things hurt. Right? They're from the enemy. The devil made those things that hurt, cause harm. Okay? But instead of getting mad and angry, we're supposed to, what? Rejoice? What? That's crazy. That's discipline. Okay? That is discipline. Now, let me give you the third one, third and final piece real quick. The last one, the last promise that besides a living hope and a lasting joy is lingering peace. That's what was next for the disciples, and that's what is for you and I. When our relationship with Christ is in alignment together with him. Verse 16, again, same conversation. Verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you know, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each of to his own, and he will and will leave me alone. I'm sorry, let me read that again. Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. So he's saying, hey, you guys are going to take off on me. And yet, I am not alone because the Father is with me. He says, these things I have spoken to you. So that's all the things that he said beforehand, that he shared, that in me, you may have peace. So he's saying, man, you can find peace. Sometimes we, you know, oh, peace for the world. But man, you know what? Sometimes we just need inner peace, right? If we're walking in peace towards one and towards another, man, that'll change the world, okay? He says, in the world, you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, okay? So he's saying that after all these things I told you, that you know what? All these things that I said are somehow going to bring you peace. That to me would be a head scratcher again, wouldn't it? What? You're telling me you're going to die? You're going to tell me that, man, I'm going to have sorrow, and then you're going to say I'm going to have peace? That, that just doesn't make, make sense. But here's how they're going to have peace. It shows them, and it really shows us, he's in control. He is in control because he knows what's next. Even though they didn't know what was next, he knew what was next. And if we would just fix on him, then you know what? We can walk in peace for what's next. Simple stuff. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's, it's really actually very simple. Because like I said, nothing catches him off guard. He never says, oh, man, I never saw that coming. Oh, oops. 
Sorry about that, Pastor Scott. Didn't mean for that to happen. No, he knows exactly every single thing that is occurring. He's got it all under control. Which means, and this is the great thing. He's given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us to know of things to come. So if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will help us to show us what's next. What's the next step? What's the next thing I do? What's the next thing that's happening? You know, and sometimes it's as simple as the Holy Spirit just speaking something that's in this word to you. Reminding you of, of a promise or reminding you of something. Sometimes it's bigger than that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, hey man, don't do that. Don't go that direction. Don't, don't buy into that. And it's just us simply being in a position to hear. Not so quick to make decisions. Not so quick to jump on the things. Man, take some time to say, okay, Lord, help me to hear your voice. What do you want me to do? Because I believe you're in control. Nothing catches you off guard. And I believe it's the job of the Holy Spirit to help me understand what to do. Because he even says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's saying, you know what, boys and girls, it's going to be okay. I got this. I've got all of this. So, what's next for, for, for them and the believers? Now, this, no one signs up for this part. But I'm, but I'm going to be honest with you. This does happen. There is pain. There is sorrow. There is confusion. Because we live in this world. Right? We live in this world. We're not in a Christian bubble where it's safe and secure. We live in this world for a reason. He's got you here. I mean, he at the snap of a finger could take you home to heaven. Just like that. Your time's up. Boom, gone. But see, you are still here because he still has a purpose and a reason for you here on this earth today. And we just need to submit to him and, and be able to say, okay, then you know what? If I submit to you, if I trust that you got this all under control, I can live in this, um, this peace. But it's all because of the resurrection. It's all because Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. That every single promise that Jesus made comes to pass. Every single promise. It's true. Now, for us, we just got to be able to position ourselves to be able to, 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 to take those promises and apply them to our life. It's as simple as that. And so this morning, as, as we wrap this up, um, go ahead and bow your heads for me for a second. And I'm not sure where you're at today in your walk, your relationship with Jesus. But he knows. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, what's next? <laughs> but, it, but it's your opportunity today, if you do not have a relationship with him, to have a relationship with him. But it's your choice. It's your decision. It's your day. No one's going to force you to do it. Not even Jesus is going to force you to do it. 
But if you feel a tug on your heart, if you feel something inside that says, yeah, man, I, I've really kind of either slipped away or, or faltered or just, man, yeah, this Jesus that you're talking about, um, he is alive. And I, I truly believe that. And man, I want what's next. I want some of the benefits that he has, this, this living hope in my life, this lasting joy, this, this lasting peace in my, in my life today, then I want to give you that opportunity. And, and how we do it here, we're, we're not going to call you out and have you come to the front or anything like that. But what I would like you to do is if you feel today that's you, that you would love to give your life to Jesus, to surrender it all to him, to empty yourself in order for him to fill you, then all I'm going to ask you to do is lift up your hand and then you can put it back down. What I end up doing here is then if someone does raise their hand, then we're all going to pray together. We're all going to ask Jesus because we're family. That's what this is about. So I thank you for those who raised their hand. So if you would, everyone pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are the Son of God. Today I come to you and acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sin. And today I give my life to you. I empty myself so that you can now come into my life and fill me with the fullness of who you are. I thank you that Easter Sunday, the day that I celebrate, that you are alive, that you are resurrected, that you are no longer in the tomb, means that I can have salvation and relationship with you today. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.